Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? There she goes. There she goes. Uh, again, Michael Kester. Thank you. Oh, and I'm Eric. Whoa, man. <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah. <laughs> Anybody? How many times did they play that fucking song? Oh, in that I movie? mean, it's, it's I. Ridiculous. It's in. It's in my brain forever. Yeah. All the leaves are brown. That's the. <laughs> that's the record to beat this year on the show. Still haven't figured out what the the done. It's like. The number one is Wong Kar Wai abusing All the Leaves Are Brown. Number two is some other movie abusing that same song that I don't even remember because it's not the Wong Kar Wai movie, so why remember it? And then number three is There She Goes Again. So I married an axe murderer. <laughs> what else are we doing on the show today, Michael? Also, I'm Eric. This is a fucking loose show. What's going on here? All right, listen. We're doing Death Becomes Her and So I Married an Axe Murderer. But let me put it, uh, that that's the sentence, right? Death Becomes Her and So I Married an Axe Murderer. Did you guys get the joke? We're here today. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Pause for comedic effect last week. And then the punchline <laughs> is weddings. In it. LOL weddings, murder weddings. Oh my God. Pause for comedic effect. Pause for homework journey. <laughs> this is like when you're setting up a really long joke. Yeah. And then you get to the punchline, and right before you can say it, someone's like, oh, hold on. And they whip out their phone to write a text. Nope, no, hold it. Yeah. Just, oh, oh, yeah. I, no, I'll be in tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Okay. What were you saying? Something about a shaggy dog? Oh, yeah. That's a good joke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Our theme here is that October was successful. And we're very happy about our something old, something new, something broad, something blue. It was so weird. We got to go all over the place. It was something mm-hmm. very different from your usual October programming. And we thought we'd just uh, tie a nice little wedding bow on it yeah. and do Death Becomes Her. And right. so I married an axe murderer. I'm super thrilled because you know I have this like Zemeckis fetish. And this is like really one of my biggest like Zemeckis boners. I'm also excited because this is the second Michael Myers movie we've ever done on Double Feature. And the first was Inglorious Bastards. No, excuse me, sir. This is the. Um... Hold on. I <laughs> Quick, have to let me do Halloween math. This joke. <laughs> how, many, how many Halloweens are there? <laughs> 10, 15. No, no, no. Halloween Kills is what? What? There's nine. And then two Rob Zombies, is yeah. that right? No. Yeah, nine Eight and two Rob Zombies. Buster Rhymes. Yep. Two Rob Zombies. There's nine and two Rob Zombies. Yeah. Eight is Buster Rhymes. And then nine is Halloween, two Rob Zombies. Ten is... Eleven. No, no, no. Eight is... Resurrection. Eight is Buster Rhymes. Yep. Nine is Rob Zombie one. Ten is Rob Zombie two. Eleven is Halloween... Re-invigoration. Halloween 18. Okay. And then 12. 11. So 12 is Kills, because Kills has come out. But we haven't done that on the show yet. Fair. Excuse me, sir. This is the 13th Michael Myers movie we've done. That's a good point. 
I'm going to leave in the whole thing where we count all the Halloween <laughs> movies before I get to a joke and you don't even laugh at it. It's really funny because uh, it's exactly whatever. what you were just talking about. Uh, we accidentally meta nailed that. You see, that you joke. add up all the, mm-hmm. you add up all the Michael Myers, yeah. and then you edit the, you add the Mike Myers. This yeah. is hopefully the math works out. Whatever, fuck that joke. Um, a shaggy dog. I would also venture that this is maybe the second time we've ever seen Bruce Willis act in a movie, uh, which is insane when you see this and then see any other yeah. Bruce Willis movie. Can we just pour one out on that? I mean, I just feel so. I wish I could just love it, but I feel bittersweet knowing like Bruce Willis, man, you're just, you're doing a great job in this movie. Please just do interesting stuff again. (laughs) You know, Bruce Willis makes like 20 movies that you haven't heard of per year. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, do whatever you want, Bruce Willis, but like you're great and death becomes her. It's really interesting. Everything you're doing is interesting. It's interesting because you do stuff like this, man. It's crazy. There was a whatever. It's okay, crazy. we'll get into it. Um, do you want to talk about Patreon. the Patreon? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I do. I want to talk about uh, something serious with this Patreon. In case you're just waking up out of a coma, you didn't live through the proof of concept that was coronavirus. If you don't support things that you like, they just can't keep going. And I wish that a podcast somehow existed outside of those magic rules, but we're only even able to string together the show that uh, we do string together because we pay for all the crap that breaks and the servers and whatever. And then uh, we add that to the Patreon money and somehow we're like, we're, we're just like borrowing for one more show, basically every fucking show. So we could really use help and your help keeps the things you love alive. So if you love the show, if you want to be part of the show, you can do it on patreon.com forward slash double feature. We still think you and I showing up, talking to each other and then talking to the Patreons that we're doing pretty good this year. I mean, temperature check. I feel like the shows are coming out well. I'm learning things. Mm -hmm. I hope we're doing a good job. If you feel like we're doing a good job, it's like a a fucking performer on the street, man. You just got to throw a couple dollars in. Let people know that things are going all right. Well, there's going to be spoilers. We've stopped saying this because now it's just the same four of us who all show up to listen to this show. (laughs) And we all know it. But in case you're new, welcome. Head of the Patreon. Say hi. And uh, we have spoilers in the show. So if you haven't seen these two movies, they are comedy sort of black comedies, horror comedies, comedies with murdery stuff. And um, during an era when really like, are these both the same decade? Oh yeah. Axe Murder is like 93. Mm -hmm. I don't know when Death Becomes Her is. Pretty sure it's it's the early 90s. I think it's 92. Yeah, if you could take out your Zemeckis uh, timeline poster, what what wall is that on? Just pan over to that. Yeah, one moment. I was trying to see where this fell on Back to the Future 3 train versus Polar Express train. Just just before. What stop we got off on or Mm -hmm. whatever the fucking extended train metaphor is. Yeah. Was I still giving a spoiler warning? I don't remember what the fuck I was doing, but Death Becomes Her. Let's start with a log line. Um, A... Meek, mild-mannered surgeon goes back and forth on which woman he is going, which woman is going to control his life 
with I don't I mean man this the logline's really hard actually come to think of it because it's not about him he's just it in it. It is hard on this one. I was thinking about this before the show. There's sort of two or three stories to it. Yeah. And not at the same time but the movie kind of changes up on you what you think you're mm-hmm. watching. Yeah. So where do we begin? We begin with like a sort of jilted lover triangle. Yep. Right? It's kind of like <sighs> Even the motives and like who is stolen from who and whatever like gender normative nonsense we put on it, Mm -hmm. that's what makes it hard for me. So it's basically like, all right, there's this guy and these two women. He's with one woman, then he's with another woman. This upsets the first woman. Later in the movie, maybe he goes back to the first woman and they plan to off the second woman. And so there's sort of like a, it's a very, uh, it's a very like film noir kind of. Oh, yeah. Like understory. But I was going to say, cutting through this and what's really important to the log line is there's an injection of magic and supernatural otherworldliness to it, right? So all possibly this, it's either that or Isabella Rossellini's just in the movie. Yeah. It's which one or the other? I promised myself I wouldn't just sing her praises for 24 minutes. So <laughs> just let me put that flag in the ground here. There's a, uh, oh, fantastic. There's a great picture of her and David Lynch. I might just put it on the episode page for this, even though it has nothing to do with this movie, because I just think it's like the, <laughs> it goes in my like uh, 15 year old art shrine that, uh-huh. that needs to pop back up on the wall. It's my little right. inspirational mood board. Anyways, point is there's three people that are involved in some sort of film noir love triangle. When one of them makes a devil's bargain again, a, a sort of, um, yeah, a, Let's go with that. Devil's bargain to gain the upper hand. I guess that's about as vague as I can do that. Yes, but the thing that's the thing, one of the, among the many things that I love about this movie, I love that it's like fucking, you know, people getting holes blown in them. You know, I'm, I always love whimsical violence. Just I'm a Tim Burton kid at heart. Very much the era too. You hit yeah. that Tim Burton. Look, there's some Adams family in this for sure. I, I definitely feel one of the things I like the most about this movie is that is that you have this love triangle dynamic that you mentioned is very film noir. But the thing that sets it apart so far apart from that is that the object of the object of affection is on paper Bruce Willis's lame fucking character, right? He's just like this nerdy, uh-huh. spineless dude. But in film it's not even about him. It's just about having him. Yeah. And then it just becomes about remaining a hot young woman. It's, it's, he is so tertiary to what's going on in this. He's, he's a fucking, he's a heel the whole time. He has no decision making skills of his own. His like one decision is to push his wife down the stairs. That's like the only decision he makes in the whole movie. God, that feels like that should be the log line is like something about, can we cheat on this? Just, we, this never really matters enough to. But <laughs> I'm I'm curious, like how they. Would you mind if I just no, please derail a valid point to like let's see what Letterbox says. A Letterbox gives like okay, Madeline, it, Madeline. Oh my god, I already don't like this. Um, no, this is like a whole paragraph. I want like one sentence. Let's see what's on the little IMDb. Okay, here's how IMDb's uh, pitch of this movie goes. When a woman learns of an immortality treatment, she sees it as a way to outdo her longtime rival. 
There you go. Okay. That's been workshop by professional. <laughs> so here we're going, yo, there's magic boobs on this cover, which is what, mm-hmm. you know what else is funny about this cover actually is it's, uh, isn't this Isabella Rossellini's character on the cover? Who was in the movie for two scenes. Yeah. <laughs> There's two women who are at the heart of this movie, the main fucking characters, and we put Isabella Rossellini on the cover. That's what an icon, what a fucking icon, with her magic potion. So we're going like, hey, it'd be fun to watch a magic movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think I get it. It's definitely in the era of these like odd, you know, witches of Eastwick and yeah, these yeah. odd, like supernatural adult comedies that, you know, is an era that I really wish would come back. Like two things I'd like to see is a new metal revival <laughs> and this like supernatural adult comedy revival. If we can just get both of those things simultaneously. Why, why would you do that to any of us? <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, what I love about you mentioned, you know, sort of the gender normative nature of the love triangle, but it's just, it's honestly almost just performative and not that because he's barely he I'll tell you the one thing Bruce Willis doesn't have in this movie and he's got a lot going on it's a dick okay he's he is in no way a sexual character he is at best a prize and at worst a foil which just makes the ending even funnier when like he finally gets rid of these two women and goes on to live like the most fulfilling life in the history of cinema but that none of that is even in the movie. It's not what it's about. He's just like, the importance of this character is so marginalized. Well, it's also funny that when you find he lived the most fulfilling life, that isn't really to make you feel great about his character. Right. (laughs) It's to like give the finger to the two women who outlived him and appear to be the heroes of the story and like kind of a weird, you know, like silent film duo kind of way. Yeah, It's one final joke on them. But I think the scene, you know, what that scene tells me is not that he was really the main character. It tells me that, yeah, he was an object to move along Mm -hmm. their plot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a lot of weird gender stuff going on in this movie and not in in the way that usually a movie from that time, you're like tiptoeing around landmines of uh, when something's like a sex farce like this or, uh, or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call this, romantic, entanglement, dark comedy, whatever. You're usually dealing with some stuff that, like you're making fun of relationships and the nature of relationships. This is one of my favorite things to write about and to work on artistically. Because I just think like human dynamics, relationships, uh, sexual, I don't know, politics or whatever you want to call it is all uh, very interesting and oftentimes undiscussed. And like the nature of how we all interact with each other, very interesting. But when you go back and look at the history of that, a lot of times you get bogged down by like, oh, wow, the world was really stupid about this at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's not how Death Becomes Her reads to me. No. It's got all its own complicated, weird stuff going on that's really fun to pick apart. Well, and I think too, before before we get into that incredibly good segue to talk about it, let me just take that away from you. It's important to note when you're talking about, you know, how movies age and how they feel rewatching them 20, 30 years later. Death Becomes Her was Robert Zemeckis. Let me just, this is just Michael Zemeckis corner here. It was Robert Zemeckis's movie that he did in between the Back to the Future trilogy, easily one of the most like rewatchable 
has like the highest, one of the highest standings of a movie that ages well, will not, will not be accepting arguments. Then he did Death Becomes Her, which I think is right up there. And then he did his most popular movie of all time in history, two years after this, a movie called Forrest Gump, which I would argue probably the least rewatchable Robert Zemeckis movie of his entire career. Not of quality. I'm not saying it's not, I'm not, I I would never say Forrest Gump isn't a good movie, but this movie seems to have such an understanding of, you know, this sort of like crux of humanity that will never go away. Mm -hmm. There's sort of this like timelessness about the subject and performance of this movie. And then to immediately jump to one of the most temporal of the moment this won't even feel good for four years. Uh, it's crazy to me. Well, this is another thing that I think we've lost in favor of. Uh, look, I'm not going to decry today's modern blockbusters. Look around at them and you tell me what you see. But put yourself back in this time where you're going, I want to make a movie that appeals to a mass audience. And what is it that moviegoers all want to talk about? They want to talk about love. Let's do a love magic movie. Mm-hmm. They want to talk about relationships. Everybody's got relationships problem. You know, what? what's every human want? They want to find someone else to be with. Mm-hmm. This is such a universal thing. Right. And so to see somebody, whether any of that's true or not, to see somebody approach this and go, my bet for a wide movie that is a mass appeal story that's you know universal through the human condition is something about relationships and let's start there mm-hmm. and then the things he talks about i think maybe the appeal is to a little bit older demographic but even just think about the demographics is interesting to me because you don't you don't really get a lot of movies today that like the heart of the movie is about fucked up love triangle. It's just, it seems to not be in vogue at the moment. Certainly not. Yeah. Not as a comedy for sure. Especially like a fantasy comedy, a, um, Mm -hmm. a flashy beam comedy, you know, collecting the orbs, whatever. We're we're doing a lot of that today, but it's not really, (laughs) you know, the reason we're here. I don't know. Yeah. I think, uh, thematically you're talking about relationships, but you're also spending a lot of time talking about more specific things. I just think that's the platform you start with. And then once you have that skeleton, you know, you're kind of hanging all of your own little personal motifs on that. So, you know, in this movie, this is a, a sort of Beverly Hills Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. So it's talking about superficiality. That's a big part of it. But I don't even know that that's so much lampooning superficial Hollywood. Some of that's in there, right? It's like, okay, so what's his job? You know, he's, uh, he spray paints dead people. Let's keep it simple. So, you know, even in death, people have to look their best. They have to put on their fake faces because God forbid, even when you're dead, you know, you're not looking your best. That's really the chief concern. And both of the women in the movie are trying to, and, you know, his character even has to fight the pull to take the magic potion that keeps you young forever. And why do you have to stay young? It doesn't really seem like it's so, you know, nobody in this movie is trying to stay young to play football. Nobody in this movie really wants to stay young to, to really like do anything or accomplish anything, even shallow things. They want to do it 
purely so that other people look at them and go, wow, you're so young. So I mean, really superficial, very superficial. But when you look at it a little deeper, it's all of all this talk about eternal youth is, um, you know, I think there's a movie about squandering life. Mm-hmm. You look at Bruce Willis's character, he looks back on his own life and he goes, ah, oh, fuck, I could have done this. Right. And even when they're making digs at each other, it's all kind of about like what they didn't do, right. what they didn't become. Right. You had a period as a Hollywood actress and now nobody cares about you, like that yeah. sort of thing. Bruce Willis is looking back at his life and he's like, man, I thought I was living, but I was dead the whole time. You make a joke about that, but also that cuts to our lament <laughs> at the top of the show, right? Yeah. Like, God, if you didn't, I mean, I feel like I shouldn't even fucking say this on the show, but why not while it's sitting right here? Bruce Willis should really watch Death Becomes Her and <laughs> sit down and have a think is what I'm saying, you know? Like, come on. So yeah, his performance in this is really amazing because he plays such a dweeby character. It's so physical. You know what it kind of reminds me of, actually? You remember, I this just popped in my brain. You remember watching... Um, Southland Tales and like <laughs> Dwayne Johnson in that movie. Yeah. Is like a weird nerd. He's doing this weird thing with his hand. He has like these little ticks. And, you know, the dude is like a gigantic bodybuilder who went on to become a triple A actor mm-hmm. whose movies mint money before, you know, like just when they're announced. Mm-hmm. Literally just like his text messages show up in variety, his movie announcements. I mean, it's just fucking ridiculous. And seeing him do that role is now makes that movie so much more interesting Mm -hmm. because of what his career has become. And I think Bruce Willis, in a way, has that same thing. You know, we just know him for making smaller versions of the Death Wish remake. And, you know, and in it should be said that like that happened because he made Die Hard, and Die Hard is so fucking good that I mean, it. It seems it seems like it would have been hard not to take this trajectory, right? Because you you made fucking Die Hard, so you know I see why you go back to these movies, and you know maybe it's hard for Bruce Willis to stay in. This almost seems like a period where he's kind of figuring it out, or he's taking a chance on something before he is peak of his career established. But I don't even really know if that's if that's true timing-wise. It's just an interesting role to see him in. Very youthful and spry and funny and weird. It's honestly, I've seen I've seen Death Becomes Her probably 20 times. And every time I watch this movie, uh, I'm, I, I always go, oh shit, I forgot that this is Bruce Willis. Yeah. Like every time. I forget he's even in it. Having seen this movie so many times, is the pacing still shocking to you? Oh, dude, it the it's the this movie stands like in my mind as one of the most most unique movie experiences that like you can have because none of it makes none of it makes sense in the scope of you know, you see Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, Bruce Willis, and you go, okay, this has to be a certain kind of movie. You see Robert Zemeckis, you go, okay, this has to be a very specific kind of movie. And then you watch it and you go, literally nobody has made a movie like this before or since. And I'm not sure it works, except it did. Yeah, the the kind of like minute to minute, I mean, I, 
The fact that the movie ends and it was a coherent package despite it's crazy. just the constant invention and moving along of the scene. Like, I never know how far through the movie I am. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, something especially like for as much as we've talked about today's like micro-attention cinema and right. all of that is uh, is really cool to see a movie and just almost feel like you're watching a new movie every couple scenes. I mean, it the the pacing is bizarre because the movie there's the first quarter of the movie and the last quarter of the movie take place over you know the first quarter of the movie takes place over <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah. And the last quarter of the movie takes place over you know years. Yeah. And the the center. Half of the movie, it's like a fucking biopic. Yeah, the way but it the moves center, around, like we're watching Gone with the Wind or something. The center half of the movie is a one-hour chunk of the film that takes place in real time over one hour. <laughs> it's crazy. You're right. That's so crazy. It's cra- because it's, it's like a build-up, and then it's like this one hour in people's life, and then yeah, the yeah. end of the movie. Yeah, to, especially for a movie that fucks around with like time, freezing time, and yeah. your age, and <laughs> and so it's just sort of cool that like it seems like Zemeckis, especially his mind, was just really in that moment, you know, and doing Back to the Future and stuff mm-hmm. too. So to kind of to play around with that, um, can't move on until we at least check the effects. Yeah, in this movie. <laughs> The effects are another, look, this is all I really need to say about the effects, but I feel like, you know, you get that moment where she goes down the stairs, she gets back up and she's backwards. Yeah. And when I'm watching this, it's one of those effects, like if it happens in front of you, it happens fast and you'll look at it and you're like, whoa, I'm not really sure what I was just looking at. Like it looks kind of weird and surreal and you don't know like what sort of, weird uncanny valley is this existing in except in this movie that scene carries on forever and you get a really <laughs> good look at the effects in this movie and the longer it goes on the longer I'm like I'm not even hearing any words these people are saying I'm staring at this and like where does Meryl Streep begin and end like what a, what am I is she backwards and then they're, they're composited or like what the fuck right and my brain just cannot move on from these crazy, crazy effects. Yeah. It's nuts. Still weird today. <laughs> yeah. Still and it just feels like, again, it feels like a movie today. that has no right to do that. And then it just like I know, does it I know. sort of offhandedly. Yeah. So I married an axe murderer. Yeah, that was your only recourse after death became I'm going to, I'm going to beat poet my way through this whole fucking show today. <laughs> I am a win a beat poet gets involved finally in a satisfying relationship. He wonders if his, ah, fuck it, let's just skip right ahead, if his new bride, Mm -hmm. which I believe becomes his new bride in the last uh, three minutes of the movie, if his new bride is in fact an axe murderer. This is a movie that plays on, you know, you read a situation, you read a social situation, Mm -hmm. and you go like, oh, man, this is modern life, isn't it? You go like, oh, this could be this way or it could be fucking insane. Yeah. I find myself in that situation a lot. It's definitely a movie about um, 
It's it's a physical movie about online dating. That's a thing about this movie. That's crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's something that. So the 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 reason that this movie came back into my orbit is it was actually one of the inaugural screenings at the Draft House here in San Francisco when it finally opened. They showed this and um, North by Northwest because they're like, let's do some San Francisco movies. Yeah. So that was cool. We had a little New York start here too. Yeah. But also, like, kudos on the programming for that because I feel like after we have spent so long inside in our own heads in COVID, asking ourselves, this is really a movie about what is the world? Can I Mm -hmm. trust it? How are people around me reading this situation? Yeah. You know, you get subject matter experts like the cop who should have a better read than anybody investigating things. And he's like the most off the, the radar. Yep on what is actually going on, even when everybody else in the movie understands it, he still doesn't know it. And I, I feel like that makes the movie feel very modern. Yeah. No, it's 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 a very strange little movie too. You know, similar to what we were talking about with Death Becomes Her, this is, I, I, I've gone and checked. Uh, it's the only Mike Myers movie where Mike Myers plays a person. Period. End of sentence. Uh, he's not a cat or an ogre or an international man of mystery. He's just a dude. What? <laughs> Come on. A uh, cat, an ogre, a James Bond uh, ripoff, you know. It's uh, not. I mean, you, what, you know what I mean, though. He's not playing a oh, character. I guess, the, I guess the joke would have been like, a cat, an ogre, Sean Connery. You know, he's not <laughs> playing like a character. He's playing a person. Right. Yeah, yeah I follow you. Um, it's very... It's, Your average guy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to see because it's literally not something you can see outside of this movie. Um, and yeah, it's it's... The movie sort of does this thing where you know the whole time in your mind, right? You go into this movie and you go, there's no way she's an axe murderer. That's the joke. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You go into the movie going, there's no way. And then the movie goes, oh man, look at this like this tabloid story about this murder girl. And you go, there's no way. That's just a total coincidence. Correlation is not causation. I'm smarter than this movie. You're not going to pull one over on me. And then the movie really jumps through every hoop where you know you have these sort of benchmarks for like this murder woman, and these are the things you know about her. There's the Russian karate guy, there's this other guy, and there's this other guy who are all murdered in various different ways. And she, she one at a time identifies the people, starts to eliminate doubt, not only obviously to the main character, but to the audience. You know, she's got this Kung Fu set and you're like, okay, well, causation isn't correlation, but or correlation isn't causation, but that is extremely specific Uh until, Uh until eventually you get to the point where I don't know about you, but I'm just watching this going, I know she's not the murderer. I know she's not the murderer, but I don't know how you're going to explain that anymore movie. I don't know how you're going to prove she isn't because you get to a certain point where if she's not the murderer, these coincidences do not, my belief doesn't suspend that far anymore. I can't believe in this many coincidences. You remember the Austin Powers scene, infamous gag in Austin Powers where they're naked but they always have yes. items mm-hmm. covering them. You know, they're walking around the hotel and the items are like increasingly like sexual yeah. or have to do with like, but I just remember like pouring the milk yeah, sauce or whatever. That's the first thing I always think about in Austin Powers 
or the hot dog. She's eating yeah, the hot yeah. dog in front of his dick. Yeah. And it it's one of the it it's just that kind of Michael Myers humor where you're sort of like, yeah, I mean, I you're naked, but are you gonna get through this whole scene? And not show, and is there really going to be an item always at the ready to cover you? Of course, because that's the gag. But I feel the same way with the plot of this movie that you do, where I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, that's a coincidence. And I get the coincidence is like funny for the movie, but I'm increasingly wondering, like, is this going to hold up? Is it going to punk me at the end? And actually, I want to say, I think the, uh, I think it's, it hits me when they do reveal the killer. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, oh, I was so wondering the will she, won't she <laughs> of it that I was right. like, oh yeah, good payoff on the fucking killer too. <laughs> the Austin Powers movies, just as an aside, I don't know if it it just happens to be because they came out when we were at like prime movie going, you know, young age. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, in a kind of like VHS watch over and over sort of era, but there are so many gags from those movies. Like, I'm not a huge Austin Powers fan or anything. I probably haven't seen them in decades. But I remember so many distinct gags from those movies. And that is really, like, there are bits of that in here. And really, they're around, like, the suspicion and the murders where you're like, okay, you know, the weaponry and the the butcher. You right. Know, like, the butcher it's not quite a meat cute thing, but it's yeah. sort of that. No, it is. It's a it's a meat cute thing. Yeah, I mean that's the it's a cute the meat thing thing, right? <laughs> At some point, somebody had to like break that scene down that way. Um, probably everyone who's ever talked about this movie has made that joke, but I mean in the <laughs> positioning of this originally. Yeah, it's uh, Mike Myers had a really he was a unique brand of human. The time that he had a lot of movies coming out and his movies were playing really, really wide and everybody was seeing them and talked about and also, you know, SNL. And, so this movie's 90, what, 92, 93? 93. Yeah, this is, this is right yeah. after Between Wayne's Worlds. Yeah, so Wayne's Worlds 92, this is 93. You know, and we'd seen a lot of Mike Myers before that. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, it's been 30 years since this specific time in filmmaking, almost to the year since this movie or since Wayne's World was made, you're now in a unique position where you're literally a subject matter expert now. So Michael Kester, what was that time like (laughs) when Mike Myers movies were coming out and on TV and there were commercials and this whole weird, unique brand of human, of actor of comedian and movie doesn't exist at all anymore. Right. This was just like a routine and at some point so repetitious we were tired of it thing that existed. It was definitely a thing that it started in the it started in the 80s in the late 80s and then SNL care SNL actors sort of like took the reins of it. And I feel like so I feel like it started in the 80s with Ernest, right? Mm-hmm. Ernest, if you're not familiar, was this character. He was he was in a bunch of like local commercials and they ended up getting movies, but did like a bunch of genre movies. But they're all about what the whole premise of every Ernest movie was what if Ernest did this thing? And it's not about it's not about a plot, it's not a story. It's what if a character like this was in this situation? Let's see how that plays out. So that was sort of like the beginning. And then you have Adam Sandler and 
Mike Myers sort of come out of SNL who have these like very specific character tropes that they do. They're their personal character things. And then it goes, what if Adam, an Adam Sandler type was also trying to golf one of the calmest sports? Sure. Or what if Mike Myers except Cat in the Hat? And then that all went, you know, it's, it's, it's these vehicles. This was the time of Rob Schneider uh, right. a bit later on. It was the time of Gilbert Godfrey. It was the time of yeah. big persona. It was, it's just, it's these character vehicles. And I feel like it capitulated and largely ended with Will Ferrell. Eventually we hit the point mm. where it's what happens if Will Ferrell was a car driver? What happens if Will Ferrell was on the news? What happens? And eventually at that point, we all just went, we get it. And then it became that other joke that you and I always talk about by what if it's Jim Carrey's serious movie? Because it was, you know, Jim Carrey yeah, had yeah, that yeah. train too of Jim Carrey, but the mask. What if Jim Carrey was the Riddler? You know, it was, it's these actors whose existence transcends their performance. It's like, if I tell you without seeing, if you've never seen it before and I go Mike Myers, but as the Joker from Batman, you got the whole thing in your head. Mm -hmm. There's no invention there. You know what the joke is. You're signing up for it. You know, shake and bake, you're here. It was this Hollywood device that you didn't need the rest of your fucking movie. You just needed to, you needed to promise people that Sandler was going to show up and shout at somebody who didn't deserve it. And all of that was going on at the same time, but not in this movie. <laughs> for better or for worse, you know, I'm not here to decry this, but I do think we've seen the death of the celebrity in our lifetime. I agree. Or it's certainly at least taken a, a much different role because there's so many more media channels now, thankfully more people can create more projects. That's a great thing. But there was, you know, just something that's different about it is when terrestrial TV, I don't even know if that's the term for it, when television was a thing with a finite number of channels and everybody just tuned into it, it was a lot easier for, there were just fewer celebrities and you see this happen in music as well, where becoming an icon was really a way to, it was enough to uh, to further a project. People would just, they would follow Mike Myers and be interested in what he's doing. In a, you know, you look at those original years of SNL and there were so many people who you you watched SNL, everybody was watching fucking SNL. And so everybody knew all those people mm -hmm. and then they could go and do something and people would follow. I think Mike Myers was, was probably late 80s, 89, something like that, that he was on SNL. Mm -hmm. And then Wayne's World is big. Austin Powers eventually in the, in the late 90s. But there were these huge waves of things Michael Myers was doing through his whole life. And then eventually like Shrek, you mm -hmm. know, where he's doing a voice, but Shrek even, Shrek is old enough now to be a, a classic movie that people meme, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like um, that was maybe the beginning of not seeing that this formula was, was almost guaranteeing results over and over and over. But I do remember those same years of seeing that. And today it's a little different because it's it's harder for things to break through, I feel like, because there is so much competing for attention. It's not, you know, if you wanted something to be famous in 1992, 
you play it on Channel 5 all the time, and now it's famous. Mm-hmm. You know, a single Tonight Show appearance, it's like a third of people who own a TV would watch it, and you were just guaranteed millions and millions, hundreds of millions of eyes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we saw these persona. I even remember growing up in Chicago, it was like Dennis Rodman was in the same orbit as a person like sure. Mike Myers. Sure. as just like personality, what are they doing? This kind of celebrity yeah. that was like follow their life around. Yeah. Oh, mayor, you know, what color is his hair? He's getting married to himself. Just like weird media stories. And so I think that whole media landscape was really strange. Mm -hmm. And so what's odd about that to me is that I think um, So I Married an Axe Murderer has become one of the more slept on Mike Myers. You know, people know Austin Powers, they know Shrek, but this was a early film of his that played in a way that's a little bit different than all his other stuff. And so it's it's a really unique look at like how he performs and how his humor exists when it's outside of the sort of, uh, like the SNL characters, for instance, really centered, especially at that time, around punchlines, around um, mm-hmm. slogans or uh, yeah. catchphrases. catchphrases is the word I want. And part of that's the same thing, repetition of image. We're doing Warhol shit, right? Mm-hmm. We give the catchphrase over and over and over, and then people say the catchphrase to each other because everybody watches it on TV and it just becomes part of your brain, and then you go to see the movie, and the catchphrase comes up, and everybody laughs. Like, that doesn't exist anymore. You know, that's just like, that's a fucking crazy notion that people are even just all walking around saying the thing from Austin Powers. Like, Yeah, a- except, for Sam, except for Samuel L. Jackson. It still exists for him. Does it, though? I mean, you know, dude probably has, like, proprietary stake in the word motherfucker. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. But he's also, you know, he's also very from that uh very from that era. I think after Shrek, you know, the other thing I remember is Mike Myers doing The Love Guru and that being a movie that did really poorly and that was the moment that I remember as sort of the whether it's true or not as sort of the death of this big personality cinema. Yeah. You know, and he didn't do a lot after that for years. I think it was like passion project. I'm by no means a a Mike Myers expert. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've seen him pop up and stuff recently. I remember the Tarantino uh, cameo. I'm oddly avoiding spoiling, right? (laughs) Um, Terminal and the Sparks documentary that just came out. And so, like, I'm kind of... He did this really weird thing recently, actually. Um, Did you see this, like, bizarre thing with the gong show? Yes, where he pretended it wasn't him. Like yeah. vehemently, yeah, that was yeah. really weird. Yeah, you should you should look this up. But he he basically, I don't know the. See now I'm like into the psyche of Mike Myers there's, and like what's going on in there. But he, it's it's as if he doesn't want to be himself. There's and, definitely uh, a Kaufmanesqueness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm so obsessed with the Mike Myers part of this, right? Yes. Because yeah, there is a he's he's part of this time and place where movies like Axe Murderer. Even then, even though this was early, it was about Mike Myers in this movie. And then eventually he got known for playing these characters. And now the very essence of playing the character is trying to disappear in it. And so when you watch Axe Murderer, I don't feel like this is, you know, the the other thing that makes it different than some of these other movies is there's not a lot for him to hide under. Mm-hmm. But you see the the 
the seeds of this in like playing the older version of himself or the right. you know right yeah it's like you know you you start to see the gold member type character <laughs> or really any of them you know um doctor evil or any of it this idea that the makeup would transform and that you could really get lost behind something and it's very it's very like uh, oddly vaudeville mm-hmm. is is just sort of what it reminds me of seeing axe murderer it's funny to watch this movie you know it's michael myers so when you see him doing another role you're like yeah that's what mike myers does he does a, a little second role whatever it's fine but if you just had a movie today we talked about this with another movie i won't uh uh spoil recently but we saw the actress play a couple different mm-hmm. characters and it was really fucking weird yeah it was like whoa this is an incredibly notable weird part of this movie yeah and back then it was just kind of like, oh, isn't this another funny gag in the movie? Because it's, you know, now you watch it and your first thought was like, wait, could they not afford more people? No, that's not the problem. Okay, something's <laughs> going on here. I can't help but watch these movies and really any of the Mike Myers movies and wonder about who he is and like what was exciting him and what the weird choices were. Because yeah, like you said, it it is a, a sort of Kaufman-like thing. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre movie, very bizarre double feature episode. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to do something I don't understand at all and recommend that the patrons check out our Jim and Andy episode of the show. Oh, yeah. Because even though it has nothing to do with any of this, it has to do with all of it. Mm-hmm. That was a movie about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman and I think also was, uh, you know, that's it's just as good a double feature with like any of the Mike Myers yeah. movies. And especially if you got into the, if you wanted to do it with like the third Austin Powers. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but we have to get the fuck out of here. Thanks for celebrating October and celebrating uh, our stupid wedding theme <laughs> and all of the uh, weird stuff that we've been doing on the show. A big thanks to Henrik Dinner, The Abbot of Reason, Tom Leonard, Tony Gleed, and John for just letting us get weird on this show. Thank you. They're the executive producers. They're on patreon.com forward slash double feature where you too can become part of the show. I know you're really excited next week because I, uh, I, y- y- you mentioned that um, it would be a really good time to do the movie Cure, which we're going to do. The 97 Kurosawa, but not that, not that Kurosawa movie, Cure. And then you, uh, you asked me, what would that pair with? And I said something that I I assume you had uh, it knocked you on your on your uh, on your ass because uh-huh. uh, I said why don't we do it with Zodiac? Michael's in the mood to watch Zodiac. Hooray! I, I can say on this show because it's not the show with Zodiac that Zodiac is not a movie that I'm um, that I'm historically fond of, uh, but for some reason. I know the reason. The reason was I wanted to do. I wanted to watch Gone Girl again. So I was like, "What other Fincher movies?" So next week on the show, we're gonna do a rousing rendition of two guys who love <laughs> Cure and Zodiac. That'll be our character performance this time next week. Watch more fucking film. All right, bye. <laughs>